Welcome to the 76th episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. Today we are here to discuss UFC 277. I know we are a couple days late. It's Tuesday. I was very busy on Sunday and Monday, but I'm here now. Um, once we're done talking about UFC 277, I'm going to talk about a couple of fights that have been booked. There are a handful of fights that I really like, so we're going to talk about those. And when we are done with that, we're going to touch on next week's fight card, which is headlined by Jamal Hill and Tiago Santos. We aren't going to go super in-depth, but I'm going to give you some of my early thoughts before the fight card. Now, let's jump right into UFC 277, and obviously, we are going to start right at the top. The headline was Amanda Nunes versus Juliana Pena in their rematch. Now, let me first say that in the preview for this card, I, I really mentioned that the biggest thing that we were going to need to see from both of these fighters were adjustments. And Amanda Nunes did just that. She made an adjustment in every single category she needed to make an adjustment. Um, any criticism about her heart to still be in the sport, she proved wrong. Any criticism about her gas tank, um, I think she was starting to tire in the later rounds, but that is natural in a five-round fight. So the cardio worries are greatly dissolved. If you look at other more technical adjustments, she threw the leg kick more. She was countering more. She wasn't throwing in as many flurries. She was starting to sit down on some counter hooks. And those adjustments paid dividends. And I cannot commend Amanda Nunes enough um, for that performance. I thought she fought very well. And I, I like... I kind of liked what she did. I thought I thought she should have stood up a little bit more in that fight. However, at the same time, every time that was taken to the ground, she was pretty dominant aside from a handful of submission attempts from Pena. But at the end of the day, she was able to escape those attempts, so it never really cost her. I think it was a little risky, but it ended up working out, so I'm not going to criticize her for that. So overall, I thought we had a very... Very good showing from Amanda Nunes. Like I said, she made the adjustments, and that biggest adjustment to me was that counter hook. She was making sure not to engage with Juliana Pena. And she did that by taking the center of the octagon, and she had Pena's back up against the fence a lot. And then whenever Pena went to throw in those four, five, six punch flurries, she was able just to move backwards and stay out of the way. She was able to avoid a lot of those. And then when the opportunity arose, she would sit down on a counter hook and absolutely blast Juliana Pena with it. She landed it a couple times in the first round very, very well. Um, I don't think she had a knockdown in the first round, but she did have three in the second round. But those first two rounds, the story was that counter hook and some really nice leg kicks. Then, like I said, in those later rounds, she started to get takedowns and started to land some really, really strong elbows. Absolutely tremendous performance from Nunez. Um, for Juliana Pena, I, I'm a little surprised she didn't make more adjustments. I feel like she came in with the exact same game plan and expected it to work for a second time, and it did not. Uh, with that being said, I, I think she could have used some offensive wrestling a little bit more. Um, I know she looked a little bit outmatched on the ground when they were there. However, I think if she could have gotten on top and, and got some takedowns early, I think that would have been beneficial. 
you know, even in those early sequences where after she got knocked down for the first time, that's when you want to go for that offensive takedown. And I, I don't really think that she she attempted to she didn't attempt too many offensive takedown attempts and she didn't really go a hundred percent for them when she did. Now, from my perspective, I, I'm obviously not in there. I don't know what it feels to be in there. So maybe she wasn't seeing those opportunities. Um, but I, I think she could have done well with attempting a few more takedowns in that fight. Moving forward, um, we need to determine what is next for both of these women. And I, I really don't think the trilogy fight is in the cards right now. I don't think you have to burn that right now. Um, and, and I think that for two reasons. I don't think you should make the trilogy fight, first of all, because that fight wasn't incredibly competitive. I mean, the judges scored at 50-45, 50-44, and 50-43. That is a very, very one-sided fight, um, and, and I really just don't see how you can justify getting an immediate fight again after you were dominated over the course of five rounds. And... This isn't really either fighter's fault, but we've seen so many, you know, rematches and trilogies, and, and now we're looking at a fourth fight between Moreno and Figueredo that we will talk about in a second, but I think I speak for a lot of fans when I say, hey, I don't really care to see another rematch. I want to see fresh blood, or you can make an exception and say Valentina Shevchenko versus Amanda Nunes. We haven't seen that fight in a couple years. Um, rather, we've seen this Juliana Pena, Amanda Nunes fight twice within eight months, I believe, eight, nine months, at least twice in a year. Um, so I think a fresh fight may do some good um, for both women and for the fans as well. Now, moving forward, like I said, Valentina Shevchenko, if she wants to move up to 135 pounds and challenge Amanda Nunes for that belt, I think she has every right to do so. I think that is going to simply come down to whether Valentina would like to or not. If Valentina decides, hey, I do not want to move up. I'm going to stay at 125. I look at that fight with Kat, with Catlin Vieira, and, and, and I think that is the fight to make for Amanda Nunes at 135 pounds. I'm more interested in her defending that 135-pound belt than I am that 145-pound belt right now. I don't see a number one contender at 145. Um, I'm looking at the rankings right now, and there are no women in those rankings. So I could really care less about the 145-pound division. If she wants to defend that, someone needs to build themselves up and, and be a major contender. Um, I'm not going to go through the process of pulling up the few fighters that are actually in that division because you have to go to the UFC website. You got you got to filter by weight class and fighter, and you can get the 10 names or so that are in that division. And one of the bigger names in that division, Jocelyn Edwards, did recently move down to 135 pounds. So it's even less likely that um, we see a number one contender arise in that 145-pound division. Like I said... Um, I think Catlin Vieira is the fight to make for Amanda Nunes whenever she is ready. I, I at the time, didn't agree with the Catlin Vieira versus High Home decision, and I still don't necessarily agree with it. But at the end of the day, Vieira did win that fight, so I think she deserves that title fight. For Juliana Pena, you might as well do the same the the same thought process and do Juliana Pena versus Holly Holm. Um, 
I think that fight makes a level of sense. I know Irina Aldana is sitting there ranked fourth. However, Holly Holm did recently beat her. Um, actually, it wasn't very recent. It was a couple of years ago. Um, I believe that was in 2020. I want to say I'm not a hundred percent sure, but um, regardless. Um, when that year was, Holly Holm does have a very impressive win over Ketlin Vieira. Yep, that was in, or excuse me, over Irina Aldana, my apologies. That was in 2020, and Irina Aldana has since beat Yana Kuntseyaka. Um, and she is booked to fight Macy Chizone in September. So, um, I think Holly Holm versus Juliana Pena is a good fight that makes a lot of sense. From there, if if Holly Holm wins or Juliana Pena wins, then I can think you make, can make an argument um, for them to get a title shot after Vieira. Um, obviously, that would be further down the road. Now, moving on to the co-main event, we had Brandon Moreno defeat Kai Kara France in the third round of their bout. Um, prior to prior to that finish. Um, I thought Brandon Moreno had a really good fight going. I saw some of the judges' scorecards. I think two had it 1-1, um, and I think a third, the third judge had it 2-0 for Kaikar France. Personally, I had Brandon Moreno winning those first two rounds. I, I thought they were competitive. I'm not saying they weren't competitive rounds. However, I do think Brandon Moreno won those rounds. In that third round, um, Kaikar France got off to a really hot start. He was able to get that cut underneath the eye of Moreno. He landed a very, very good elbow on the ground. That was a very good sequence for him. And that was early in that third round. And in that third round, he was winning that third round very soundly. Um, if that fight gets out of the third round, he wins that round. There was only 30 seconds or so left when Moreno got that finish. But, you know, he was cruising to a, a win in that third round. Or he was cruising to winning that third round. That would have put him up 3-0 on one judge's scorecard and 2-1 on the other judge's scorecards. So he could have won that fight. Um, I thought it was trending well in his direction. At the same time, Brandon Moreno does have serious, serious cardio, and I think he would have had a good fourth and fifth round. Um, but Brandon Moreno landed one hell of a kick to the body. He he landed that shot right on the liver and put Kai Kaufranz out. That was a tremendous body kick from Moreno and I really like Moreno's work to the body I wish he would employ it a little bit more in the future um, he kicks very well to the body he throws that head kick to at the end of his combinations right and that was something we talked about in the preview where he'll end a combo with a head kick to try and catch you off guard and he really punishes you with that head kick at the end of combinations I think if we can say, see him get a ratio to like 50-50 of ending kick or ending combos, not every combo, but when he does throw a kick to end a combo, if we can get a, a even ratio between kicks to the body, to the head, and to the legs, I think that can be a very, very good um, result for him, could cause very good results for him because he kicks to all three levels very well. And I think if you're doing it at the end of the combos, it's very hard to defend already. So I think if you can start mixing up levels to end combinations, I, th I think you are going to see some very good results from Moreno. He also punches to the body very, very well. I love his body work. Um, 
And for a guy with great cardio, investing in the body is great because if he can go out there, land shots to the body, and start to chip away at an opposing fighter's gas tank, well, his gas tank is going to stay strong no matter what. So I love I love that game plan for Moreno attacking the body. And here he was able to land the perfect body kick that really, really ended this fight. So I am very, very impressed with Moreno. And I'm not, not impressed by Kaikar France. I thought he was fighting a good fight. Like I, like I mentioned, there were a lot of very strong things to like from Kaikar France. But Brandon Moreno is a very good fighter. And he has that interim belt, so he is going to fight Divison Figueiredo for the fourth time. And I've seen some I've seen some discussions about is this the fight to make? Is Figueiredo Moreno for the fight to make? I hate to break it to you, but it, it is the fight to make, and I and I I'm don't even think there's a reasonable discussion elsewhere. And two reasons for that. One, Brandon Moreno has the interim belt. Um, very rare we see an interim champion not fight the champion. Secondly, if you watch that sequence where Figueredo goes into the cage, there's a security guard with an earpiece, and he, they're not letting him in the cage. And then the security guard with the earpiece is like actively going like this. It's like a scene out of a movie where the guy's literally touching the earpiece to figure out, hey, can I let this guy in the cage? The UFC literally said, yes, let Divis and Figueredo in the cage. Not only is it the interim versus champion, but at the same time, they let this dude in the cage. If they had no interest in booking that fight, he's not stepping in that cage. That's the second reason. Now, with that being said, if Divis and Figueredo moves up to 135 pounds, that fight obviously is no longer there. We will see Moreno become the champion. He will be promoted more than likely. And we will see Alexandre Pantoja, who I have some very positive things to discuss surrounding his name. But we will see him fight for the belt instead. However, I don't necessarily think that happens. I think it's all but confirmed, all but booked, all but signed that we see Figueredo versus Moreno for. For Kai Cara France, um, I think that Alexandre Pantoja fight makes a lot of sense. Um, he was fighting very well. And I think for Pantoja, he can either sit on the sideline until it's her t- his turn to get a title shot. I think he's earned that right. However, if he decides he wants to fight again, I think Kai Car France is the name. If Alexandre Pantoja, you know, like I said, balls in Pantoja's court here. If Pantoja decides I will sit out and get that title shot, I think Kai Car France versus Brandon Roy Vall could possibly make a level of sense. And, you know, Kai Car France doesn't really have a lot of, you know, options here just because the guy ranked behind him is a guy that he has already beaten. I don't think they run back Kaikar France versus Brandon Roy Vall, or excuse me, Kaikar France versus Eskar Askarov. However, um, Brandon Roy Vall did beat Kaikar France in the past, so I think that would make sense to run back now. Um, otherwise, you know, I don't really know that, that Kaikar France versus Alex Perez fight would make a lot of sense. So I think a lot of these guys in the top six or so have already fought, and I think we're going to have to see a rematch for Kaikar France versus Brandon Roy Vall. If Alexander Pantoja decides to sit out. Moving on, Sergey Pavlich versus Derek Lewis. Um, this was a terrible, terrible stoppage. I don't like it. 
Um, I think in that scenario, I think you need to give Derek Lewis the opportunity to recover. I know he fell flat and it looks very bad at first, but I think you should not stop the fight the second he hits the canvas, right? The second he falls forward, it was uh, stopped. I'm not saying Sergey Pavlich doesn't win that fight, but I do believe that you wait and see how Derek Lewis reacts, right? Um, you see if he eats one or two or three shots on the ground. You don't let him sit down there and get his face pummeled in, but you give him an opportunity to recover. And I just think it was stopped a couple seconds too early. I think if you you let that go a couple more shots, we will have a we would have a better read if Derek Lewis was out. I don't think he was out, and he looked pretty coherent directly after that fight. But Sergey Pavlich did do a really good job of landing some power shots early on Derek Lewis. He did a very good job of that. Um, so I do credit Sergey Pavlich. I thought he fought a good fight, and he could have won that fight even if you know Dan Mergliata didn't decide to stop it at that moment. If he stops it 15 seconds later, Sergey Pavlich could have gotten a stoppage. So um, I don't think we need to discredit Sergey Pavlich based off his performance. But um, I, I do think we should cut Derek Lewis some slack because he was on the wrong side of an early stoppage. Now, what is next for Sergey Pavlich, I think, is a, a reasonable question. I, I think there are a couple directions you could go. I think Curtis Blades is a proper um, direction to go. I think you could pair him off with the loser of Cyril Gan versus Tai Tuivasa. I think, you know, for Sergey and for other guys in this heavyweight division, for Curtis Blades as well, I think we need to see, you know, what, you know, what happens at the top of that division. We don't know if John Jones is going to fight Stipe. We don't know. We just don't right now. Um, we don't know who wins and what happens in Tai Tuivasa versus Surreal Gan. We don't know if, does Tai Tuivasa knock out Surreal Gan in the first round? If he does, Tai Tuivasa is fighting for the title. Um, there are a lot of ifs and buts right now at the top of that division that I think we need to get answered before we can book guys like Sergey Pavlich and Curtis Blades, unless you book them against one another. So I have a hard time booking this division right now based off the current state of the top three, the champion and John Jones. It makes it hard. For Derek Lewis, if Derek Lewis wants to fight soon, I think Jarzinho Rosenstrike is a decent opponent. It's a guy he has not fought. If you look at the guys behind him in the rankings, whether it be Alexander Volkov, Chris Dowskis, Marcin Tuboro, all guys he's fought. Um, even if you go deeper, Shamil Abdurakimov he's fought. I don't know if he's fought Augusto Sakai or Blagno Ivanov. But those guys are 14 and 15 in the ranking, so I don't know if he gets those fights. So I, I think for Derek Lewis, I think Jorginho Rosenstrike is the obvious answer. Now, um, don't book him in Texas, first of all. Anyways, um, also for Derek Lewis, I think Tom Espinel may, may make sense. But Tom Espinel is going to be out for a long period of time. I think that is about we could see when Tom Espinel returns. I'd like to see the state of the division, but I do think a fight between Tom Espinal and Derek Lewis does make a level of sense at one point. 
I don't think it's soon, but I do think that's an intriguing matchup. If Tom Aspinall were healthy today, I think that that would be a fight that, that would make a lot of sense. Um, moving on, Alexander Pantoja. I already alluded to it earlier, but he had a really, really good performance against Alex Perez. He came right in, walked through some shots, you know, went directly into the fire, got on the back of Alex Perez, and got a submission via rear naked choke. You know, it, it's really as simple as that. Alexander Pantoja had a great performance. He's probably one of the best non-champions that doesn't really get a lot of credit. When you look at some of these really good non-champions, whether you think Max Holloway, whether you think Robert Whitaker, whether you think Piotr Jan, um, and I can keep going. I can say a lot more names, but I'm not going to. Alexander Pintosia is right up there with those group of guys where he's the next best that doesn't have a championship. And right now we have two champions, so he is a little bit behind. But he's one of the best fighters in the world that doesn't have a belt around his waist. And he's really in a position where, you know, he's got to wait. It's just, I don't know how else to say that. But, you know, right now they're going to do that fourth fight between Moreno and Figueredo. We've talked about it. And Pantoja can either fight Katkar France or wait and probably get the title shot. So... I don't really think there's anything else to say regarding that. I think we've talked about Pantoja enough, um, but very, very, very impressive performance. Nonetheless, I think very highly of Pantoja as a fighter. I just don't think he's going to get that title shot from the UFC quite yet. Um, Alex Perez. Alex Perez is also not in a great spot. He's now lost two in a row, but his losses are to Figueredo and Pantoja pretty good losses um obviously no loss is good but you're gonna get submitted in the first round two times Pantoja and Figueredo are you know it's, it's you could you could do it against much worse fighters is the point I'm trying to make here I think he gets a fight against in a guy outside of that top fit six whether that be like a Mateus Nicolau Matt Schnell David Dvorak I think we need to give someone outside of that top six an opportunity to break in. And I think that Alex Perez is going to be the one that's going to have to sacrifice his spot in the rankings to do that. In the first fight on the main card, we had Megamet and Goliath versus Anthony Smith. This um, was an interesting fight. I'm not as impressed with Magomed and Goliath as a lot of you are. I I think he's a really, really good fighter. I do. I think he's great. But what exactly has he done that really, really separated him? I don't think this performance really separated him from the field. I don't think his performance against Thiago Santos really separated him from the field. Um... You know, I, I, I think he's very good, and I think he can be a champion, you know. This was his first finish since he beat Ian Kutelaba. I think a lot of people are really just riding the hype that he had in those, you know, the the very impressive finishes that he had against guys like Kutelaba, Valtor Lukambula, who, good fighter, great finish, Um his head kick up against Marcin Pranchino. I can't say his last name, but you get what I'm trying to say here. 
Um, when he got into that upper level of competition, Nikita Kurlov, decision. Volkan Uzdemir, decision. Thiago Santos, decision. This was his first finish back against Anthony Smith. And Anthony Smith broke his foot in that fight. Um, I think that Megamed Ankalaev won that first round. I do. I'm not saying he didn't win that first round. However, I'm not blown away by what Megamed Ankalaev did. Um, if you, you know, if you look at Anthony Smith, he really hasn't beat an elite top ten fighter in a minute. I I really like Anthony Smith. I think he's a talented fighter. But when you look at the resume, he's got wins over Ryan Spann, Jimmy Crute, and Devin Clark. Those are his wins since the start of 2020. In 2019, he had a win over Alexander Gustafsson. 2019, lost to John Jones. Then his next best win was Volkan Uzdemir back in 2018. Then he beat some aging vets in Mauricio Hua and Rashad Evans. Prior to that, lost to Tiago Santos. That was prime Tiago Santos, so I won't fault him too much for that. And it's not the losses that make me think that Anthony Smith isn't a really good fighter. I think he's a really good fighter. It's some of these, you know, he doesn't have a win that really stands out to me and, and makes me go, okay, that's the one. Um, and for Megamed and Goliath, I, I, you know, this finish really wasn't that impressive to me. He went out there and grounded pounded a guy that couldn't stand. I mean, Anthony Smith pulled guard at one point because he couldn't drive through to get a takedown. And he didn't quit. You know, if Anthony Smith doesn't get off the stool at the end of round one and just says, hey, I've got a broken I've got a broken ankle, there isn't going to be nearly as much hype around Megamed and Goliath, right? You know, it, it's, it's tough to say, but it, if Anthony Smith goes out there and, you know, just quit, or I don't want to say quit because... I mean, he's got a broken ankle. It's fair enough to not get off the stool. But if Anthony Smith goes out there and fights the rest of that fight, I mean, it's, it's, I don't know how I'm trying to word this. It, it's tough for me because Anthony Smith is someone I really respect. And Mega Man Ankle Live is someone that I also really think is a great fighter. But basically what I'm trying to say here is I don't think Megamed Ankalaev did anything to separate himself here to get him a title shot. I wasn't overly impressed by the finish is what I'm trying to tell you. I think that Megamed Ankalaev does not really deserve a title shot based off that performance. Um, I think you can pair him up with someone like Jan Blachowicz. I think if Jamal Hill beats Tiago Santos... This weekend, in emphatic fashion, you could look at Jamal Hill versus Megamed Ankalaev for a number one contender's bout. Well, you do Yuri Prohashka and, you know, a Glover Teixeira or Jan Blahovic. Or you could do Ankalaev versus Blahovic. There's a couple different ways you could work that. Um, but I think after this weekend, J Jamal Hill, Tiago Santos, we're going to have a better idea of what's going on right now because I have this big asterisk where if Jamal Hill goes out there and has an impressive performance against Thiago Santos, I have a hard time not, you know, throwing him in that title conversation. And especially if he looks better against Thiago than Megamed Ankalaev did. So I think that's just something to keep in mind and something that we're going to have to reevaluate on next week's episode when we come back to break down light heavyweight and what happened in the main event. So that will serve as a bigger part of the show because it was the main event. So I, I say we just postpone this conversation.
to next week. And now we're going to move to the prelims. We're going to start going faster in these prelims. Alex Morono versus Matt Selmsberger. I really like Selmsberger heading into this fight, but Alex Morono fought a great fight and did a really good job in there. So credit to Alex Morono for going out and putting on a great performance. I don't think he gets a ranked fighter at 170 pounds. I think he's just outside of that. Um, but regardless, I think he's a couple fights away from, from cracking in to those rankings. And Drew Dober versus Rafael Alves. Drew Dober did a pretty good job in this fight. Um, that fight was entertaining. Rafael Alves came to scrap. Drew Dober um, ended up landing a really good shot to the body that shut Rafael Alves off. So credit to Drew Dober. Um, I don't want to say he's in a similar position to Alex Morono because he has been ranked before, but I think Drew Dober is a couple fights away, but I, I do think he's a little bit closer than someone like Alex Morono to touching those rankings. Hamdi Adela Wahab uh, against Antal Mays. This fight was, first of all, didn't deserve to be a split decision. Hamdi clearly won two rounds of that fight. I was very impressed from what we saw here. Um... I did not expect him to come in and strike as much with Dante Mays. I thought he was going to come in with a very wrestling-centric game plan. However, he came in and struck with Dante and won a lot of exchanges. He was hurt in that fight, but for his first UFC fight, I'm very impressed. He's only 4-0, so I think the future is bright here for Hamdi. Um, moving forward, I, I think he um, can get some more fights against guys of Dante Mays's status and he can try and grow upon what he has done. Drakkar close, very good fight against Rafa Garcia. Um, I don't really have too much to say here. I thought Drakkar close fought well. Um, Drakkar close versus Drew Dober may be a potential fight to make that could be a fun one. Michael Morales got a very impressive knockout of Ag against Adam Fugit. Um, Michael Morales, very, very good hands. I think he needs to secure his defense a little bit before he gets against some more elite competition. But at 23 years old, um, the hand speed and the striking is tremendous. Um, round out his game a little bit, but as far as potential goes, Michael Morales has a lot of it. Jocelyn Edwards versus Jin Yong Kim. Very close fight. Um, Jocelyn Edwards... I think the size advantage played a big role in helping her get this win. So, um, but nonetheless, she she does have some really good kicks, and I thought she fought well. She deserved that decision. Nikolai Negumarianu put on a great performance against Ihor Poter. Um, Ihor was someone that a lot of people liked coming in. He had a good win on Dana White Contender Series, but Nikolai was the UFC vet. He came in, looked very good. I don't think Ihor is you know out of this or anything i don't think this is a situation where we saw one fight from him in the ufc and realized he wasn't ufc caliber but i do think ehor needs to go to the drawing board a little bit sure up that defense a little bit sure up his cardio he's still only 26 years old so he does have time so i don't think anything should be rushed with ehor i do like him as a fighter um and this was a massive massive step up in competition he you know, wasn't fighting the best fighters on the regional scene. And he jumped, his fight on Dana White Contender Series was a big step up in competition in the first place. And then this fight to Nikolai Mariano, um, 
once again a big step up in competition so i think if we could ease him into this light heavyweight division a little bit more i think the potential is strong for ihor now the last fight blood diamond versus orion kose um another really good fight i am concerned about blood diamond he may be cut um could we give blood diamond a matchup with a striker um and, and see how that goes in mma um, right now, I think he's gotten two very bad stylistical matchups and has lost because of it. So I think we need to give Blood Diamond a striker and kind of evaluate how he can strike in MMA. I think he will be just fine striking in MMA. But, you know, the wrestling does need to be improved. Give him time to improve that wrestling a little bit while he fights a couple strikers. And then we can throw him back in there with another grappler in the future if he can, you know, get some more wins. Um, now moving on, that was pretty quick. We did a good job not talking all day about UFC 277. Moving on, we have three fights to discuss. We have two prospects that have been added to UFC 280. The first is the more well-known prospect, which is Mohamed Mokayev. He will be fighting Malcolm Gordon at UFC 280. Um, this matchup is whatever, but I am glad that Mohamed Mokayev was added to this card. I think he's a very good prospect, and he does have a lot of roots in Abu Dhabi, and I think that it was good to get him on this card. The other prospect, not as well known, I think he's starting to grow his name a little bit. He's gotten a good shine on a couple of fight cards that weren't super, they weren't like massive fight cards or anything. Um, they were just your average fight night card. But Kai Boralo has looked good in those fights, and he will be fighting Makurd Murakadov. I messed. I'm not. I'm not going to pronounce that name right. My my apologies. Um, he is one in. Wait, he is three and one. Excuse me. In the UFC, his last fight was against Gerald Mershart, where he was submitted in the second round, but he does have two really good finishes on his record. I think that fight is interesting. Um, I'm interested to see if Barado can get that to the ground and work his grappling there. Um, so those two cards, I like a, I like both of those, and I think those really help strengthen those prelims of UFC 280. We have a great main card. We have two really good fights. We, or we already had two really good fights on those prelims. Those two, I think, add a lot of depth in terms of prospects that we will see fighting on those prelims. I'm happy with both of those fights being added. And the last fight, October 29th, Edson Barbosa versus Ila Tuporia. Shout out to Edson Barbosa for only fighting the toughest competition out there. This is Ila Tuporia's chance to break into, you know, the, the you know, that that 10 to 12 spot in the in those featherweight rankings you know he's been sliding in and out of those rankings he's been sitting in that 15 spot and then someone will do something good and then he'll get removed and then someone will lose and he'll get added so he's been kind of in and out of the rankings at 145 pounds he had to move up and fight at 155 once he's been bouncing around i'm excited to see how he can do against a tough tough opponent at 145 so i think this will be a very good litmus test for if Ila Duporia can hang with some of the best featherweights in the world. Now, like I said, this breakdown of UFC, or UFC Fight Night Hill versus Santos is going to be pretty quick and nothing too crazy in depth. 
main event, Tiago Santos, Jamal Hill. Um, if you haven't followed this podcast for a while, I am a massive Jamal Hill fan, massive Jamal Hill supporter, and I am a big-time believer that he can do some really good things in this sport. Um, I am slightly biased because we are from the same town. Well, I... You know, we'll just leave it at that. I don't want to absolutely dox my location. Um, I guess it wouldn't be that big of a deal. Anyways, we'll just move on from that. I like Jamal Hill. He's a cool guy. Very cool guy. Nothing but support for Jamal Hill. Um, so I am a little bit biased here. I'm not going to give a prediction because, like I said, I am biased. You probably know which way I'm leaning. Um, but I'm a massive Jamal Hill fan. And I do think this will be a good fight. I think, you know, Tiago Santos has been in some... I don't want to say boring fights, but Tiago Santos has been criticized for being boring in the past. I don't think Jamal Hill will give him that opportunity. I think Jamal Hill will try and get in his face, and we'll see if Jamal Hill can land, you know, a knockout shot early. We'll see if he can consistently touch Tiago Santos. Um, but with that forward pressure of Jamal Hill, I think that will give Tiago Santos some opportunities to counter and some opportunities to land a big shot of his own. So I am interested to see if Tiago Santos can take that aggressiveness of Jamal Hill and turn it into a strong outing of his own. I do think this will be interesting. Like I said, we're going to talk in depth about this fight once it's done. Um, but I will just leave, as far as a preview goes, I would leave it at that. Um, Vicente Luque versus Jeff Neal. I'm very glad they made this fight. I think this fight makes a lot of sense. And I'm very interested to see what we get from Vicente Luque here because I was very high on Vicente Luque at one point, but I wasn't overly impressed with his last performance against Bilal Muhammad. Um, but that four-fight win streak he had over Nico Price, Randy Brown, Tyron Woodley, Michael Chiesa, absolutely loved him during that streak. Um, I think he did some very good things before that as well. I'm not boiling his career down to just that. But that stretch, I think, really legitimized him as a title contender. And I'm excited to see if he is able to find some of that form again against a tough opponent like Jeff Neal. We also have the Ultimate Fighter and the Finals are on this card. And I completely forgot to continue talking about the Ultimate Fighter, but I did slowly watch and pay less attention to the Ultimate Fighter as the season got deeper and deeper I think I have one or two more episodes to watch so I actually haven't even seen the last fights here I saw Usman and Pauget in the semifinals and I think I saw Brogan Walker in the semifinals I don't think I've seen Juliana Miller's semifinals fight yet so just keep that in mind when I'm doing this preview but for Pauget and Usman I really like Muhammad Usman but I, I think this is a tough matchup for him against Zach Pauga. I like I, I do think Pauga is going to win this fight, but um, Usman could very well win. I think it's going to be competitive and closely contested, but I would lean Pauga here. Um, like I said, I haven't watched Juliana Miller's semifinals fight, so I really don't know too much about her fighting yet. Um, but I do like Brogan Walker, so I would lean Brogan Walker here. But like I said, I haven't really done enough to kind of tell you what I think about Juliana Miller so I that that prediction of Brogan Walker is really coming out of a place of ignorance and not enough knowledge Augusto Sakai versus Sergei Spivak I like this fight um I lean Sergei Spivak I think he can get this fight to the ground and, and do some work 
against Augustos Kai. However, while this is on the feet, he will be in trouble. So um, I lean, I lean Spivak, but I do think this will be competitive. Ariane Lipsky versus Priscilla Cachueta. Um, I like Lipsky, and I really hate Priscilla Cachueta after I watched her try and gouge, eye gouge an opponent. So I'm riding with Lipsky. I'm picking Lipsky. Could care less about Priscilla Cachueta. I really don't think taking your thumb and trying digging it in your uh, opponent's eye while they try and submit you is the coolest thing you can do. So I could care less about Priscilla Cachueta. Um, and her career. Sorry, Priscilla, but I, I just don't necessarily appreciate seeing some blatantly dirty moves. Moving on, Michael Olechuk versus Sam Alvey. Um, don't want to surprise you, but I will take Michael. I, I do not think Sam Alvey will win this fight. The fight that I may be second most excited for, or third, um, if I had to rank them, Terrence McKinney versus Eric Gonzalez. Big Terrence McKinney fan. I really like the work he did against Drew Dober. I think he proved, you know, that he has a place at 155 pounds. I think I'm I'm interested to see what he can do with a full camp. Um, in the past with a full camp, he has done well. He did well against Faraz Ziham. So I know I don't think Ziham is with the UFC anymore, but that was still an impressive performance. I think he's a balanced fighter that holds a lot of power. I'm interested to see what this fight against Eric Gonzalez looks like. Um, quick go about of the last couple fights. Brian Battle versus Takashi Sato. Takashi Sato is a fighter that I was very high on, but you know, losses to Miguel Baez and Gunnar Nelson really put a wrench in in his career. And if Brian Battle can get a win here, that would mean a lot for him because the Takashi Soto has fought some really good competition in the UFC. I'm interested to see how he looks in this one. And then we have Josh Quinlan, who is making his UFC debut. He fought on the Contender Series in September of last year. That fight was a no contest. I don't, I don't even remember watching that fight. No contest, punches. 47 seconds. Yeah, I don't really know much about him. Jason Witts, um, I'll leave this fight to the side, but that fight is on there just so you know. Corey McKenna versus Miranda Granger. Pretty evenly matched fight here, I'd say. I'd probably lean... Mer Do I want to lean Miranda? I was thinking of Miranda Granger lean. Um... Hmm, hmm, I don't even know who's going to win this fight. Uh, I'll lean Miranda Granger. Um, she's got a win over Hannah Goldie. But her losses are to Ashley Yoder and Amanda Lemos. I won't fault her for the Amanda Lemos loss. Um, Corey McKenna, last loss to Elise Reed. But her UFC wins are to Kay Hansen in a contender series win against Vanessa Dinopoulos. I'm not really too informed on this one. Last fight, Myron Bueno Silva versus Stephanie Edgar. Edgar, E-G-G-E-R, not Edgar, E-G-G-E-R, Edgar. Um, no reason to extend this any further. Um, I'll go flip an imaginary coin. I'll go, 
I'll go. Um, I'll go silver. Like I said, I don't want to. I don't watch tape on these until we get deep into the week. Um, so keep that in mind. Regardless. Um, now we are forty-five minutes in. I think it's time that we end this episode. I hope you enjoyed. Um, not a terrible episode. We started to fall off the rails there at the end. But UFC 277, I thought was a very good card. Um, gave some good fights and some some cool outcomes. So I thought that was interesting. I enjoyed talking about that. Um, like I said, I don't really watch much on these previews until the week leading in and the fight card itself. I will be back next week. And I should be back sooner than Tuesday. I hope I don't. And I'm not, not trying to make that a habit. So I will be back to recap Jamal Hill versus Tiago Santos and that entire card. So keep that in mind. But regardless, thank you so much for watching this episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. Goodbye. Oh! He front kicked him in the face! Kevin Lee with the ultimate! Oh!